0: Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Now that's saying something. If we go back in just Israel's history, we run into Solomon... Solomon is written about in scripture as being the wisest man, man that ever lived. We see his father David who was said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. We go back to Samuel, one who, who was given to the Lord and served him faithfully and, 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 and possessed great, great Filling of the spirit for many wonderful feats. We, 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 we come back to Joshua who led Israel into the promised land. We go back to Moses who led them out of slavery in Egypt. We go back to Jacob and Isaac. And then we finally get to the father of the Israelites, Abraham. And Jesus' statement is John. And this will really come into play when we get to John's adult story. But John is greater. No one's greater than John. In the sight of God, John was great. Why? Well, what we learn ultimately is that he was great because he submitted himself to God's plan. He was a submissive man as it relates to what God had brought him into the world to do. He walked in faith, and he sought God's approval over man's. I want you to imagine John the Baptist as your pastor. Can you do that? He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what you think. I mean, not in an arrogant way. He's not being arrogant and rude, as in, I don't care what you think. I mean, he just doesn't care what you think. He's walking with the Lord, and he's going to walk in obedience with the Lord, whether you understand it or don't understand it. Now, I'm not trying to compare John to me, because I'm not that man. I care what you think. <laughs> I mean, I'm just that's a, a weakness on my part. But not John. John cared about God's approval. What does God say? How does he feel? And in carrying his life in that way, we find that he fulfilled the second greatest mission that God had in his redemptive plan. The, the greatest was fulfilled by Jesus. But the second greatest was John's as he prepared the way. For the Messiah to do his ministry. And that brings me to a truth point this morning. I want you to get a hold of it here. There is, and we've already established this pseudo greatness. There's what man sees as great, and then there's genuine greatness, what God sees as great. Genuine greatness is the only kind that matters, for it is determined. That kind of greatness is determined by the perspective of truth and eternity rather than the deception, rather than deception and fleeting time. So Zechariah hears, your son will be great in the sight of the Lord. Gabriel gives Zechariah information, secondly, that indicates that God has chosen John to live according to the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow. John's going to live as a Nazarite. Some are chosen by God for this, and it's a lifelong practice. Others volunteer for it. Um, And it's um, uh, a temporary thing for a specified period of time. But whether it's lifelong or whether it's God-chosen or self-imposed, those who live under the vow, theirs is a life of strict discipline so as to be fit for special service to God. Samson, if you remember Samson, is most likely the most well-known of those who lived under the Nazarite vow. And he did so... As a lifelong endeavor. Samuel, we've already mentioned him, he also lived under that vow. The Apostle Paul uh, actually lived under that vow twice. His was more of a voluntary for a specified period of time. It wasn't lifelong, but he did for a time live under that. Three outward signs of the Nazarite vow are these. Nothing fermented can be consumed. Alcohol is out. Anything that is alcoholic, anything that might even remotely impair one's judgment or become addictive is out. No cutting of the hair. If you want to be a long-haired guy, become a Nazarite. Because that was part of it. The hair was considered a sign of strength. It wasn't necessarily a source of strength, just a sign of strength, but that was one of the outward signs. No cutting of the hair. I mean, you no know, trimming, no nothing. It's, it's wild and free and Fabio, right? And then number three, no contact with any dead body of any kind, be it human or otherwise. And, and I'm not here this morning to try to explain all those things to you just to say those were the outward signs. And, and Gabriel's strict and specific instruction uh, to Zechariah that John was to have no contact with alcohol was an indicator that God had chosen him to live under this vow and that he would be considered a Nazarite, a a way of living that caused one to be set apart from the natural rhythms of the world to focus on the work of a work that God had commissioned for them. And fitting like a, like a hand in the glove with, with the Nazarite vow was the impartation of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Now that was the whole point of that separation and that, that, that um, uniqueness uh, was the living in the power and in, in the authority of the, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead. We believe in the Trinity here, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's the person of the Godhead who energizes God's work. He is the power plant. He is the one that we all who follow Jesus need to be relying on and trusting in to be able to do the things God calls us to do. Because one thing I have learned, and we all need to learn together, is that when we try to live the life of Christ and the power of our flesh, we are destined to a lifetime of frustration and failure. It can't be done. It can't be done. It can only be done as we surrender to the movement and the work of the Spirit uh, within us. Even Jesus, by the way, when you read the Gospels, you find that Jesus in the flesh needed the filling of the Spirit to do the works that he did. Now, he's the Son of God. He is the creator of all things. The Bible tells us that God created nothing that he didn't create through Jesus Christ himself. And yet, Jesus needed the movement of the Spirit. Otherwise, he couldn't perform the things God called him to do. So that's how important the Spirit is to us. And so it was with Samson that I mentioned. And so it was with Samuel because of their special position of being set apart for God whenever they were called upon to perform some specific work, um, the Holy Spirit would come upon them to empower them supernaturally. By the way, Samson was not a muscle-bound, you know, like me. He didn't look like me at all. I lie not when I say that, that he didn't look like me at all. Uh, But... Seriously, he wasn't, you know, we, we picture that, don't we? This big burly. Ugh. No, his power was derived supernaturally from the Spirit of God, not from his physical muscle. And remember how it was, those of you who have been through Sunday school and VBS and you've heard the stories, remember how it was that when he finally told Delilah about his hair, that if it, it was cut. That he would lose his strength and become just like any other ordinary man. And they cut it. And sure enough, he lost his strength. Why? Because the hair was the source? No, because he had violated the vow. And the Spirit of God backed off and let things take their natural course. Well, I say all of that because we come to this place in this passage where the, the angel is telling Zechariah that his son is going to be filled with the Spirit. Now, you just might want to mark this down on your note guide somewhere. I didn't leave you a place to do it. You just write it on the side or somewhere. That phrase, he will be filled with the Spirit, is a phrase that grammatically talks about a continual thing. It's not, it's not like he's going to have this impartation for a moment and then it'll go away. No, this is going to be a continual way of life for John. He will be filled with the Spirit. The interesting thing is, and this is where it's very different and, and, and wow, and, 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 and I, what does this mean? Is that the angel said, he will be that way from his mother's womb. Now that, <laughs> and there's some people in here looking at me right now going, okay, Pastor, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> well, you're going to find out. <laughs> that is unheard of. That is unprecedented. This is the first and only time that we're hearing something like this. If you know anything about Bible doctrine, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of sanctification, then you know this is not the way God operates. God does not impart the Holy Spirit to infants in the womb. Why? Well, because... The way it works is you don't receive the impartation of the Holy Spirit until you come to faith in Jesus. Ah, and infants can't come to faith in Jesus, uh, you know, internally. Not even when they're born at six months or eight months or two years or probably three years. I mean, they're just not cognitively able to even understand that they're sinners or who Christ is or any of the, the gospel. No one, mark this down, no one is born with saving grace upon them. Nor with the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And I have this doctrinal point, and I did leave you this space. To have the Spirit within you requires repentance and faith in Jesus. In other words, conversion to Christ comes before the filling of the Spirit. Well, then that leaves us with this huge question, does it not? Shake your head and go, yes, even if you don't understand even what I'm talking about. You go, yes, pastor, it does. It it, it begs the question, what does this mean? Now, you see, when you're doing topical preaching, by the way, you can say, well, that's really not part of what I'm trying to present today. You can just set that aside and say, we'll get to it some other time. But when you're exe- doing expositional preaching, where you're taking the text and you have to deal with what's in the text, then you can't just run away from it. Whether you like it or don't like it, whether you fully grasp it or don't grasp it, you got to find a way to deal with it. Amen? That's what it works. And that's why we're doing what we're doing, so that we can actually grow in the Word of God and know what it says. Okay? What does this mean, then? Well, I offer this warning... A warning, what I'm about to say may be controversial. In fact, what I'm about to say, I'm, I'm, I'm rather uneasy about saying it. But after studying it, I'm led to no other, I can't come up with another conclusion. So here's what I'm going to tell you is what it means. I believe with John the Baptist, it means that in this one specific case, In light of what Christ would do through the cross and through the resurrection, and in light of John's ministry to prepare a pathway for the Messiah to do that ministry, it seems, circle that, I did, it seems (laughs) that God elected to impute redeeming grace upon John before he was born. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001.